This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Tim. My home mate. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sam. <laughs> Forgot his name. I think, I think Tam used uh, more syllables than he was allowed to use. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is like a throwback episode because we got a Scott. Yeah, hey. vintage. Sweet. Yeah. We can charge extra for this. <laughs> I'm going to increase yeah. the price of the podcast That's by three thousand percent. Three ninety nine. Hard SF audio only. An old time radio uh, throwback. Yeah, Scott, you're you're starting to get into audio drama. Seriously, yeah, I do. I, I I've always liked it, but um, yeah, I'm gonna uh, jump in hip deep here. Hip deep. Hip, hip deep. deep in the audio drama. Hip deep in the audio drama. Okay. Well, I'm you recording audio an audio drama. drama. Right? Oh right, yeah, you're going to be a character in uh, uh, the Tim yeah. Heffernan production, right? Yes. Yes, I'm doing. I've got it all recorded, but he's asking me for retakes now. So <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. But your well, first fun. performance was perfect. Oh, I know, exactly. I, I don't understand. Directors, you know how they are. Yeah, exactly. So I am extra sad that um, that radio drama, or radioarchive.cc does no longer exist. Oh, man. That is such a bummer. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of, it sort of had like a long lingering death, mm-hmm. which, is, which is bad. Yeah, but, I appreciate uh, their efforts. That was really excellent of them to do that in the first place and yeah. i understand yeah. why they stopped but damn I, I do i i mean i think it's a combination of things but it was it was it was pretty bad like there mm-hmm. was server problems and uh the guy who ran the show couldn't be contact you know not ran the show ran the site couldn't be contacted and mm-hmm. people thinking that the servers uh, the torrents might become corrupt and um, so I, maybe the domain name expired. It's just it's like, I'd love for it to come back, but finding it in the first place was incredibly difficult. I mean, the internet is so big yeah, and the web, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't support things that aren't commercial anymore in the way that it used to, you know, when you type in something into a search engine now, what do you get? Mm-hmm. Commercial results. Hmm. Right. Isn't that insane? Like, do you remember back in the old day, Ulta Vista? There were no commercial websites, right? Yeah. When Ulta Vista was a co- competitor to uh, Yahoo and all that, there were no. Oh, there's web, web crawler was the first one I used. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so they didn't they didn't have legal trouble because they you well, they, get a BBC audio drama from there. They did. They did have some sort of legal issue, but. Um, so did we, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. uh, because somebody wants to sue you doesn't mean you're, you're evil. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and that's, that's exactly what they weren't. They were opposite of evil. It was, a, a, there, were, there weren't even any, any ads on their website. Right. It was, it was entirely for the good. It was pro bono mm-hmm. work, but who knows what'll happen. Maybe someone will start up another one. Um, yeah, did you did you see also that the radio downloader app, the oh. latest version of that, they had to take out the BBC connector. Yeah, yeah. That, that was um, that was a, again another situation where somebody makes a program that works incredibly well to make a, a dysfunctional website and you know crappy service from the original product work work properly, 
And what happens? They get yelled at by <laughs> yeah big big faceless bureaucrats. Yeah, and I, yep. that, that's really not understandable because I could turn on BBC and record it 24 hours on my computer if I wanted to and then just pick out the stuff that I want to listen to. And that's exactly what that program allowed That's exactly to. what it was. That's all it yeah. was doing was saying, okay, you've I got even, the stream on your computer. You can record it. So That's right. Yeah. I didn't even know about it. Well, if you read SFF audio very closely, <laughs> you will know everything that's going on yeah. is cool. And it would be another thing if uh, BBC Radio was making that stuff available in some way. They, they do have podcasts now, but when that thing started, it, mm-hmm. you know, they had no podcasts. And mm-hmm. even the podcasts they have now, they don't include the majority of... Yeah, the majority, podcasts. especially the audio drama. The, sure. There's... there's uh, a feed called Drama of the Week, but I don't know of any other feeds. So oh, if anybody else does, yeah. please let me know. But yeah, well, there's also, but they have like audiobooks every week, right? They have unabridged readings of audiobooks. They have abridged readings of audiobooks on BBC Radio Four. So um, it's not like uh, that was the only offering is audio drama that's missing. Audio drama, regular programs, and and uh, audiobooks were were being put out by the BBC every week. Mm-hmm. So, CBC solved this by deleting. Yeah, deleting the whole department. Dramas. Yeah. Oh man, I miss Matt Watts on audio drama. Boy. Yeah. Um. But on the other hand, um, CBC's podcasts are ubiquitous. There's basically one for every show now, and they they keep their their feeds open quite a long time. They they fix their podcast feeds a lot better than a lot of other uh, like mm. BBC has done or. I don't even know what's happened to ABC Radio National because um, they. I used to love their their uh, their programs, but I, they started fiddling with things, and now I'm I've completely forgotten about them. Mm-hmm. NPR does good stuff here, but they don't do a lot of books or audio drama. Oh, no. yeah, they're stuff. sort of newsy, sort of current eventy sort of. They have interviews with authors occasionally, but that's about as, as yeah. close as you get. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're sort of straying off topic, aren't we? Well, yeah. The, oh, we uh, are, the stuff that's come in recently um, on the audio drama front is, um, let's see, I'm looking for it in this list. Brad Lansky and the Alien at Planet right. X, right. which is a, a remake of their original one. Um, these Brad Lansky audio dramas are r- just full of sound. Um, it's just basically like one long track of sound. <laughs> um, I don't really know how to explain it. You can compare it maybe to Ruby. Have you guys ever heard Ruby? Mm-hmm. Um, no. Ruby's a, from Meatball Fulton, you know, kind of an old audio drama that was, you know, in little three minute pieces. They used to broadcast it just in three minute pieces on the radio. And it was almost like mm-hmm. a song, each little piece. And it was just full of sound. And these uh, Brad Lansky audios are the same way. And this yeah. one you can actually download for free. So He's um, from South Africa, right? He the is, yeah. yeah. Dieter wow. Zimmerman. Right. And he's probably made four of them, five of them. That sounds about right. It says ten years ago. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. That's funny because that's yeah. about how old the website is. Just, I think, today or yesterday was uh, our 11th anniversary. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Yay. So uh, we probably that's probably one of the first reviews on the site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It means we're going through our adolescent p- 
puberty rebellious <laughs> Britain's slave. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. This is starting today. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. And then um, another thing that's new in is from the Radio Repertory Company of America. It's called Richmond Smokes a Joint. Uh, these these audios <laughs> from the RCA, um, Angelo Panetta and Larry Weiner. Weiner, mm-hmm. um, he they're like sexy sci-fi adventures. Claudia Christian plays a um, a private eye in their most popular series called the Anne Mank series, and they're they're pretty good. They're really well acted um, science fiction adventure. He he once described Angelo Panetta described it to me one time as comic books for radio. Mm. Um, or for audio. So, um, in this latest one, Richmond smokes a joint. Richmond is a character from the Anne Manx series, so he's doing a little spin-off there. Um, but yeah, very sexy, oh, very, cool. very uh, little sci-fi adventure things. And then um, Fred Greenhalge uh, sent me the Cleansed. Right, that's so, the Blackstone uh, release of his podcast. Serialized. Oh, I didn't realize it was on uh, uh, Blackstone. Yeah, Blackstone released it, and uh, the big zombie one out of L.A. that I can't remember the name of. Um, they're starting to do a little bit of audio drama as you know, website releases. Yeah, and they they did. Um, Blackstone did Ender's Game. Well, no, actually, that was Audible, wasn't it? That was Audible. That was Audible. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think that's available on Blackstone, but. Um, yeah, it was the folks at uh, Skyboat Road. Um, you know, Gabrielle DeCure and uh, Stefan Rudnicki. Mm-hmm. Um, I think DeCure directed the show. So Late last night I got a tweet from them saying that uh, they wanted to be nominated for a Hugo or voted for a furry Hugo. Huh. But I guess that that's going to be under related work or something. No, that could probably be dramatic presentation. Um, okay. the, the way that it's worded, I remember thinking about this because, uh, you know, Neverwhere I thought could be too. Um, the Neverwhere audio drama by Dirk mm-hmm. Mags. Mm-hmm. Um, that but was, it, right. yeah, it's, uh, so it would be the way that the dramatic presentation is worded. It's, it's a length. So over two hours or something like that, or hour and a half or something. Mm. So there's a long and a short, and, but it doesn't say video or anything like that. So it can be audio. Some very strong movie competition, probably with gravity. And yeah, stuff. exactly. Oh gosh, exactly. yeah, yeah. So that's what the way that'll end up. But I don't think it'll and be I, unrelated. It's work. probably going to be competing with the Ender's Game movie as well. Now that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, right. I don't think the Ender. Well, you know, I shouldn't say I haven't even seen the Ender's Game movie, but I have not heard that it's terrific. Well, I was listening to uh, Seth and Scott and Julie talking about uh, movies versus books. <laughs> and uh, Scott, you were saying something like uh, movies are the premier art form of the society. Well, I think that that's the way society views them. Yeah, that's not a personal. That's not a personal opinion. That's just you yeah. know the way it's, it's like, like our common experience. Video drives out. Video drives out text, and uh, audio sort of uh, supersedes text. But right. text is always it gets a short shrift, and when you talk to someone about like, oh, I'm reading this book, they usually say, oh, I saw the movie. Yeah, 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 and that that's most normally you know what you have in common with people. I think is you're much more apt to have seen a movie in common than to have read a book in common. I mean, I need to get online to find people I've read books in common with. <laughs> hey, I, you could that's like why I'm here, right? find a website or something. <laughs> hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. 
Speaking you can hold of which, up a sign I, in the street and say, hey, have you read this book? I noticed <laughs> uh, there's a Pacific Rim novelization uh, on the list here. Yeah, um, I saw that too. And yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's funny that they're still making novelizations, but I guess if the movie is big enough that uh-huh. they, they, they can make a little money that way. But um, I actually think it might be okay as a, uh, the description might give you a lot of fun background. I was I picked up um, I was in the used bookstore the other day and I saw there was a novelization of the first Terminator movie hmm. around that time and I was I was just started reading the first page and like five minutes go by and I'm like holy crap I'm sort of immersed in this book I, I I was looking for something specific but I got sort of immersed in this novelization because it it's different right the guy who's writing the novelization usually hasn't seen the movie yet he's just working from the script. Yeah, yeah. It gives a a, a a much different sense. Movies are very good at giving you uh, visuals, but they don't get inside characters' minds, or um, they don't get inside the um, the person person who's writing its point of view of how we should take it. There's only the presentation that's very sort of um, dis it's. Uh, Dispersonal? I don't know if that's a word. Impersonal? Yeah, uh, it's not immersive. Um, yeah. Well, it can be. I mean, it, it's immersive in a different way, but it, it can never, you know, like you said, text or novels do it much better than uh, movies. Yeah. On the immersive other hand, quality. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I was reading the script for, um, for uh, Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest, mm-hmm. and then I watched the movie of it, which is just an adaptation of the play. Um, and that totally comes off exactly right. You know, when you're reading the text of a play, it doesn't give you any of the interpretations, right? You have to put the interpretations in yourself. So it's like you're the actor. Right, mm-hmm. right. And that's the difference between like a play and a... <laughs> well, yeah, like a movie, a movie is really a director's medium. And then a play is an actor's medium, Right. And, and then a novel, a novel is, is the writer's medium. So where's the reader get involved? <laughs> well, you could argue that the novel is is the reader's medium. I've been thinking a lot about postmodernism in reading, and you say novels are the writer's medium, but postmodern critics like Roland Barthes, who wrote Death of the Author, would actually say that it's more a reader's medium, um, where once the author has completed a text, the author is pretty much irrelevant to how the text is received and interpreted and all that stuff. And then it gets even even uh, more interesting when we start talking about audiobooks where the narrator is also intermediating the experience. So you have an actor who accents a, a character in one way and another character in another way, and, and that influences the way you think about a book. So I've been very conscious of that as I've been listening to books lately of how that's influencing the way I think about it. Well, a bad narrator can ruin a good book. But yeah, or vice versa. Or a, or a good, yeah, and vice versa. I was just going to say, like, well, Jim Dale on Harry Potter. That's what I think of. Yeah, but a great narrator can't save a bad book. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think it's possible. I've tried I've tried listening to great narrators read press. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, you're wasted. <laughs> Go read some Jack London. Well, I guess it depends on how bad the book is, but yeah, I think a narrator that. can make a book better. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It can enhance it, can bring out nuances that you wouldn't have seen, or 
I'm I, I like when I'm reading Edgar Allan Poe now. I I think oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it in my head as I read it using Wayne June's voice. <laughs> Wayne, Wayne much, June is Lovecraft to me. I mean, I can't read Lovecraft now without absolutely. hearing his voice. Absolutely, I but love Wayne he June. Can also do Poe. He, yeah. he actually has a uh, series of Poe books that he put out by himself. And although they're hard to get a hold of because his website's currently, you know, uh, not working great because he's busy working on other projects. But um, <laughs> I've got copies of his stuff and it's like it, it, he's just great at it. Nice. It, it, nice. Poe, and, Poe and Lovecraft are very similar sounding guys, you know. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Lots of dead, dead things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Lovecraft has bigger words, right? <laughs> not really. Poe, Poe's, Poe, he's he's got the vocab. They both got the vocab. Yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of horror, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Hey, nice segue. On on Blackstone Audio, there is the best horror of the year, Volume Four, edited by Ellen Datlow, which is very cool. I, I love it. I mean, there, I see. I'm seeing a lot more short stories on audio. Um. There's, anyway, uh, this one's got uh, Stephen yeah. King, um, Straub. Yeah, yeah. I'm you know the last the last it. great horror collection that I heard was called Poe's Children, right? And edited by Peter Straub. It was a very good collection of new writers. I think was the intent there. Poe's Children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, a spelling mistake on one of these. A, a layer Baron is layered Baron, I think. Okay. But uh, Blackwood's baby might be uh, an Algernon Blackwood reference there. Yeah, yeah. An and a Algernon. Rosemary's baby uh, play. Oh, too. good point. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Now I want to read it. <laughs> now it's scary. <laughs> now it's really yeah. scary. I love that. I really appreciate when things are connected, you know, and you read it and you're like, oh, you know, that gives me a lot of. Mm-hmm. Internal happiness, I think, when I make that connection, and I go, "Oh, look at that!" That's putting the puzzle pieces together. It's, yeah. the, it's the reader's job, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Or the listener's job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You but then the writer has to put the pieces there in the first place. So, yeah, that's uh, right. And a lot of a lot of writers think they don't need to have any pieces. <laughs> yeah. My complaint. Yeah, very cool. More pieces, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. put this puzzle together. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's like you buy one of those. Uh, Five thousand piece puzzles at the at the craft store, but then you get it home and it's got like three thousand and hundred and no and no edges. Yeah, right, right. That's too funny. This metaphor is extending itself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Next up on the list, as we move down, there's some urban fantasy. There's one called Deadly Curiosities by Gail Z. Martin. One called Murder of Crows, which is The Others Part 2, written by Anne Bishop. I still love that phrase. That phrase always yeah, yeah. does Murder something for me whenever yeah. I hear it. <laughs> yeah. And is... Unkindness of Ravens is the other one that I, mm-hmm. that I like. And is then... that from a poem or something? Uh, no, it's, just, it's the proper group name for Crows and Ravens is Murder oh, of Crows, that. Unkindness mm-hmm. of Ravens. Yeah. yeah there's, in fact, if you, uh, if you go through... Um, some websites have entire listings for them um and they're they're not just for animals too they can be for like for groups of people so there's like uh i can't remember what it is but i think it's like a puzzle of philosophers or something like that it's (laughs) it's like 
Um, it, it has it for you know a pod of whales and a pride of lions, but it also has it for some really bizarre creatures and even like fictional like dragons and um, people love love playing that game where you know let's give it a group name to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite that my dad came up with was ammonium of pandas. <laughs> ammonium. <laughs> Pandemonium, yes. Pandem- pandemonium. Pandemonium, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's I love perfect. it. <laughs> that that should be cool. the new official one. I don't know how we get that. Is cool. I don't either. <laughs> oh. well. well, next on the list, I've got Black Arts, which is Jane Yellowrock, number seven, by Faith Hunter. Also from Brilliance. Faith Hunter. Sounds like a pseudonym hey, to me. Hey, I don't know oh, if it's it really. Does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Might not be. This is a person in search of uh, some religion, is my, my yeah, guess. Yes, exactly. there you go. Mm-hmm. And then I've got um, Day Watch and Twilight Watch, which is Night Watch 2 and 3. And I've read Night Watch 1 by Sergei Lukienko. I really I've heard liked good it. things about these, yeah. I thought it was terrific. I would read those other two. Um, but yeah, they're about um, there's a war between good and evil that takes place all the time. Uh, us humans are not aware of it, and um, see night watch and day watch have to do with um, a treaty that was signed between good and evil. One rules the night, one rules the day, but they watch each other mm. so that they're not, you know, it's like policing each other to make sure that the treaty is upheld. Mm. Mm. So the uh, the night watch is actually the good side and then the day watch would be the bad side because the inversion yeah exactly because they're watching the day and they're watching the night um anyway i liked it i liked it a lot and i would read the other two so an urban fantasy scott likes mark that down tam (laughs) i I, I believe it was discussed on a good story is hard to find episode 57 (laughs) (laughs) wow that is absolutely true julie gave it five stars five stars on goodreads as well Cool, cool. Yeah, it was a good book. And it was really full of um, Russian stuff, which I really appreciate. You know, I think that that's neat when you read books by authors that are not Americans. And I have yeah, not read enough of that. Yeah, I think it was originally Russian, right? And then it was yeah, he is, he is Russian. Yep. He's very popular in Russia, I guess. And um, anyway, I liked it. You know, most of it took place in Moscow, if I remember right. Neat. Yeah. So, very cool. And it's a movie, too. Oh, right. I've heard of you that. you seen it? No. Actually, I have. Yeah. I watched it, and it was pretty good. Pretty good movie. Yep. So, um, I, one of the other things that came up while I was listening uh, listening to reading and watching the movie and the play and the, the text of um, the importance of being earnest is um, uh, there's Lady Bracknell. She's the sort of the evil character in the in this in the play very funny she has all the mm-hmm. best lines and one of the things oh i'm sorry not lady bracknell there's a character called miss prism which prism is, yes yeah, it's prism she she says do not disparage the three three volume novel i wrote one <laughs> myself and i was thinking what is this three volume novel so i looked it up and uh it's it's not a trilogy it's the uh, way books were serialized um, in mm. book form in the 19th century, mid-19th century, um, 
to sell the book, you would put out the first volume, and then if that sold really well, they put out parts two and three, which is the same. It's one novel in three volumes. And one of the reasons they would do it that way is to allow people to share the books. So, because books were a lot more expensive back then, right. you could buy the book, right? And then you could give it to your friend, and then you get volume two while she's reading volume one. And then you give her volume two, and you get volume three. And then you can sort of read it uh, by sharing it around, and, um, which is very cool. And, um, what's cool also, Scott will appreciate this, uh, and Seth too, is that uh, The Lord of the Rings was originally conceived as a three-volume novel. Yes. And that's what it is, as opposed yep. to a trilogy, which um, is sort of the inspiration for all of these books, bringing it all back together. I'm looking at the, the list here, book 10, book 1, book 3. <laughs> it's all about the sequels, putting out yeah. the But these are not one big volume, one big novel in three volumes or ten volumes, mm-hmm. uh, although some people try and bill them that way. Lord of the Rings does not work on, you know, each book on its own, right? It's all a set. Yeah. And so I can read um, The Fellowship of the Ring and pass that to Seth and then start reading The Two Towers and Seth can pass The Fellowship of the Ring to Scott, right? Mm-hmm. And that way we can all read the same book pretty much at the same time without it, you know, tearing the book <laughs> into pieces. I can't imagine modern publishers <laughs> encouraging this. No, absolutely <laughs> not. But what's also fascinating is I was I've been you know going through magazines a lot lately, um, <laughs> like last couple of years. But uh, the other day I was looking at an older magazine and I noticed oh in a newspaper actually an advertisement for a magazine club. What you do is you join the magazine club, um, and everybody in the group pays you know a fee to be a member and then they all get a subscription to a magazine and they all share the magazine and it would be like locally city-based so you have a meetup <laughs> okay i've got this issue can i have that uh, yeah thank you. <laughs> and it's allow allows you know poor people to have subscriptions to magazines the way rich people would have subscriptions to magazines and it's like, wow, that's, you know, we can we, we kind of still talk about, you know, the doctor's office having, you know, how many views of the magazine. But it's a very different model than what we expect today, where I buy an issue and it's for me. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the BitTorrent of a uh, lost age. It, it kind of is. Yeah, it's a it's a sharing system of, of when product is too expensive for the consumer. Um, I mean, there are, there are some series that are uh, basically one story. Like Peter Hamilton's series are basically one huge novel split up into three or four, whatever. Other huge novels, but, yeah. Yeah, so it, it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, those are three or four volume novels is what you're saying? Yeah it's, yeah, it's basically one story. There's like a big cliffhanger and then it continues in the next volume. Okay. Yeah, because there, there's also serialization, right? Like you would get with... Um, in magazines, but the uh, the the difference between a three volume novel and a you know like a Dickens style serialization is is that usually the 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 novel is completely written and then it's released in bits to generate income for the subsequent releases. Um, whereas the serialization in the novels, like by Dickens, he's writing it as the issues are coming out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where the ending is exactly. 
and he can make it longer or shorter depending on how popular it is. Right. Seems like you can get into trouble doing it that way. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's why we have the mystery of Edwin Drood, right? Unfinished Dickens novel. <laughs> Dan Simmons has a book called Drood. He does. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Anybody read it? No. Yeah, I have not. Either. <laughs> no. I haven't read the mystery of Edwin Drood either. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay, moving right. down the list. Yeah, moving down the list, we've got uh, Blood Orange by Kathleen Tierney, another urban fantasy. Um, we have a reviewer for it. Sarah's going to review it. And it says, uh, the award-winning poet and bard of the wasted and the lost, um, attributed to Neil Gaiman about this author. So Neil Gaiman called this author the poet and bard of the wasted and the lost. Um, turns wow. her imagination loose on a new urban fantasy series. The first one is called Blood Oranges. Is that hmm. just a kind of orange? Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's you actually, open yeah. them and they're red. Yeah. At the beginning of the episode of Dexter, he's cutting open a blood orange, okay. you know, mm-hmm. and he's doing all those murder things at breakfast, which is a great, <laughs> a great symbol. See, so, yeah, I'm interested enough to find out what this is about. I'm going to read the description. Um, my name's Quinn. If you buy into my reputation, I'm the most notorious demon hunter in New England. But rumors of my badassery have been slightly exaggerated. Instead of having kung fu skills and a closet full of medieval weapons, I'm an ex-junkie with a talent for being in the wrong place at the right time. Or the right place at the wrong time. Or whatever. Wanted for crimes against inhumanity, I mostly didn't commit. I was nearly a midnight snack for a werewolf until I was saved by a vampire calling itself the Bride of Quiet. Already cursed by a werewolf bite, the vamp took a pint out of me too. So now, now, well, you wouldn't think it could get worse, but you'd be dead wrong. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's got it's got like uh, half vampire, half werewolf, <laughs> um, half ex junkie. Yeah. This person's got a lot of problems. Yeah. yeah, I would, you know, on these things, you know, I loved Buffy. I know I've said this before, but I, I really liked Buffy, the Vampire Slayer TV series, and um, but that did it for me. I, I would have to have something really recommended. You know, somebody have to say you need to read this in order for me to you and see if it's, it's read really another one. This sounds promising. I mean, part of my problem with the urban fantasy that I've read is that the writing—I wouldn't say the writing is bad, but it's very uninspired a lot of the time and un, unpoetic. Yeah, and yeah. So it's not the stories. I mean, some of the the, the premise of urban fantasy that okay, there there are these paranormal um, spirits and entities walking around among us in in our own cities is is actually kind of interesting and intriguing yeah it's just the way that it's executed most of the time is exactly so right i agree bland i mean and this the, sounds like it actually has some some punch to it yeah and mm-hmm. some good right so yeah i i'd I be willing to give this one a, cha- a chance excellent yeah and i did like uh night watch so it doesn't say anything about the series it being a series other than it says you know i somebody somebody novel siobhan uh something yeah, Shyobin mm. Quinn. That's Shivan. That's pronounced Shivan. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read to call it Shyobin Quinn number one. And there is a number two. Nice. It's okay. Red, That's pretty delicious. Shivan. 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 Is that Irish? I think that's a word that Michael yes. Jackson uses at the end of songs. Shabon. That's it. Shabon. <laughs> that's it. Heaven holy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up is one that Jenny's going to review. 
It's called The Line by J.D. Horn. Um, I'm going to go in for the longer description here. Savannah is considered a southern treasure, a city of beauty with a rich, colorful past. Some might even call it magical. To the uninitiated, Savannah shows only her bright face and genteel manner. Those who know her well, though, can see beyond her colonial trappings and small city charm to a world where witchcraft is respected, hoodoo is feared, and spirits linger. Mercy Taylor is all too familiar with the supernatural side of Savannah, being a member of the most powerful family of witches in the South. So I'm starting to think, you know, is Savannah a place or is Savannah a person yeah, or it's both? Georgia, right? uh, yeah. It's a town um, in Georgia. Yeah, it is, but I'm wondering if but, it's yeah. also a person. Maybe well, not. But Hoodoo is capitalized. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's weird because there's it's also Voodoo, right? So mm-hmm. is that the name of the character is Hoodoo? Or is, <laughs> is it just Voodoo and it's capitalized because it's really important? <laughs> yeah. Sounds vaguely true blood ish. Um, you know, urban fantasy with the. Uh, Southern, mm-hmm. southern local color. Yeah. Well, Jenny's Jenny's sort of embracing her southern locality, right? <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah. She's trying, although it's kind of weird because she's also not here because she's studying Turkish, which, as far as I know, <laughs> has nothing to do with southern United States. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is yeah. cool. But yep. um, I think if you're in a place that is not your place, you know, you're living there, got to totally delve into it and embrace see what the culture is like there and yeah read, read about it so maybe that's why why she's going for it it's not that georgia is south carolina but mm-hmm. yeah they're approximately the same yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right okay also on the list with silent screams uh by steve McHugh is a heliquin chronicles number three and then demon from the dark and mortals after dark number 10 by Cressley Cole from Simon and Schuster, and um, yeah, I mean, guys, stop me if you want to uh, read about it or anything. And then um, Brandon Mull, who's very popular around my parts, uh, a middle grade novel it looks like called Sky Raiders, <clears throat> and Bryce is going to review that. Um, looks like a new series from Brandon Mull. Brandon Mull is very cool. He he visits schools all the time, and I know that's. Helps him as a writer, but uh, kids just love him. He really does a nice job with the kids. He's visited schools around here uh, several times. Looks like Percy Jackson sort of cover to it. Um, yeah, yeah. Percy, I don't. I think Percy Jackson sort of uh, on the wane, right? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it, so. the, the series is complete, so I think. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, he's he's like, doing uh, kind of a spinoff series, right? Um, but he's yeah the the Percy Jackson series is done. That I think in the movie the movie uh, was pretty terrible. Number two, uh, it looked like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. and um, my kids on the first movie said, "How are they going to do number two? They've messed it up. You know, they they messed up some <laughs> some plot point that I must have missed because I did read the first one, but I don't remember. But mm-hmm. something fundamental was screwed up in number one that made number two difficult to pull off." Yeah. And as far as the plot goes, so. Um, but this one says Adventure awaits in the Five Kingdoms. Come and claim it in this start to a new series from number one, uh, blah, blah, blah. Fablehaven and Beyonders is what he wrote. Cole Randolph was just trying to have a fun time with his friends on Halloween and maybe get to know Jenna Hunt a little better. But when a spooky haunted house turns out to be a portal to something much creepier, Cole finds himself on an adventure on a whole different level. 
So interesting. Getting really yep. good reviews on uh, Goodreads. I believe it. He's he's hmm. very well liked. Um, is he, is he a good narrator? Does he read his books to the kids? Uh, yeah, he always reads excerpts and you know spends a lot of time with him too. You know the um, it's just really appreciated. Teachers just love him. Christopher Paulini, who wrote the Aragon books, um, that's how he kind of made a name for himself. I think by by talking talking at schools about his yeah. books. Well, schools absolutely love it. You know, if you can, if an author wants to come, you know, if they're writing YA, they're probably going to be allowed to come. Mm-hmm. So, because um, it's cool for kids to meet writers, because for one thing, to me, it it feels like. When you meet an author, you you begin to think, I can do that too. You know, it's mm-hmm. just this person. You know, it's not some yeah. magical, super intelligent person that I can never be. Especially um, when you're a kid and you haven't been told yet that writing is impractical and how are you going to eat? Exactly blah, blah, right. Blah. Exactly right. <laughs> and a lot of kids, you know, that are that type of kid, you know, they, they meet a person like that and that opens that door. And I think that that's wonderful. So, yeah, I really like it. In uh, traditional epic fantasy, they've got a, a Discworld number 40. Can you believe there's <laughs> 40? I just Discworld can't believe it. But what an awesome world it is. I've only read a couple. Um, but I sure did like the, the couple that I've read. And I'm trying to remember, one of them was a Christmas one we did on Good Story. Um, oh, I can't remember. I don't know why it's not leaping to mind. But, man, it was good. Um, that's um that's insane. hogfather that was it hogfather, hogfather yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah highly that's recommended uh, he must not have written anything other than the Discworld series i, I can't. pretty much i'm reading good there's, omens there's, right now yeah there's good, good omens right yeah with uh neil gaiman. Neil gaiman yeah fun book <laughs> it, it is fun he's yeah. gonna review that raising steam uh read yeah. by stephen briggs yeah, Stephen Briggs, I think, does most of the Terry Pratchett books yeah. now. Oh. That's cool. I like it when they kind of narrow in on a narrator for an author. Uh, as long as there's nothing worse for me than um, than um, having a a series switch narrators midstream, like yeah. a, one of the Dresden Files. Um, speaking of Buffy, James Marsters, who played Spike in that show, which apparently I've never watched. Anyway, he narrates the Dresden Files books, but... Um, he wasn't available for one of the books, and someone else did it. And oh boy, it just—it wasn't—it wasn't. You feel bad for the narrator because it's not their fault at all, and they might be a perfectly good narrator, um, but it's not the guy you're used to. Same thing happened with the Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, Roy Dotrice, who's a really respected stage actor, I think, mm-hmm. has been narrating the books, but he couldn't do Feast for Crows, and so John Lee did it. And John Lee is a perfectly good narrator, but it wasn't Roy Dotrice. <laughs> Uh, and I think actually they've gone back. Now. Yeah, they re-recorded it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's right. There was an outcry. <laughs> you bet, you bet. So yeah, moving on with fantasy, we've got the companions, uh, Legend of Drizzt number twenty-four. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> it's yeah, called the yeah. The, the subtitle is the Sundering Number One, Legend of Drizzt number twenty-four. So and he's got a, a mini series and his big series. You know, yeah, this is a Dungeons and Dragons book. Yeah, so, uh, Forgotten Realms is like a adventuring planet planet right, to right. Go to adventure on in dungeons and dragons yeah um and i think drizzt's an elf if i he is. he's a dark elf <laughs> right there you go have you played uh seth i don't know i i can't find people to play. you know i have a friend who has a group but 
it's it's full apparently. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I've played a couple Sorry, of times. Sorry, you're not invited. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I, I would love to play and, and geek out doing that. But I've read some of these books, and you know they're good and they're you know they're fun. Uh, again, the writing is is kind of average, and so it's it's really hard for me to stay invested in them. Mm. Um, well, you probably sure. feel the same way about those that I feel about Star Trek novels, which I I pick one up and read now and then. Mm-hmm. And they sure are fun, you know. Which there's nothing wrong with fun. No, absolutely um, but not. But it's not like you know, uh, stretching you in any way. It's like going back to world and saying hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the next two, uh, for some reason, we don't have the first one in that series, the Dragonland series. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragons of Spring Dawning and Dragons of Winter Night. The, I think the first one is Dragons of Autumn Twilight. I read all of those, which is surprising, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a series. I read all of them because I was a kid. These are really old books. These are yeah, the yeah. 80s, uh, maybe mid-80s. And um, th- I thought they were great back then. Uh, the the plot is kind of, you know, totally, totally Tolkien-esque ripoff. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a fake hobbit, <laughs> you know. Uh, it has uh, a Stur- uh, there's a guy named Sturm Brightblade who is basically Boromir, you know, sort of character mm-hmm. gets killed off. And there's um, there's dragons and uh, there's uh, sort of an evil power taking over the land. You know, they're not orcs; they're they're dragon men or something. But yeah. it's it's good stuff. And uh, if you you know you're young and you just came off of Lord of the Rings, you're looking for something. Those are actually really good books. Margaret Weiss and Tra- Tracy Hickman. Apparently um, the mage Raceland is, is kind of the most popular character. I, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's captivated fun. the imagination of those books. I think I read the first book a long time ago, and yeah, and I did enjoy it. Mother Caramon, who's also fun because he's, he's sort of He's sort of the he's all the he's dumb and muscly, and his brother's weak and um, mm-hmm. yeah, physically weak and uh, constitutionally weak, but also yeah. of mind, right? And they're they're twin brothers, which is also fun. So, the, so it's the nature versus nurture. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but also good versus evil because Caramon is sort of dumb, but he's also a straight straight shooter, um, you know, truthful and honest and good and all that. And his brother is. One of the things that is different about the Dungeons and Dragons books, and a lot of the um, the that makes it different than the the uh, regular fantasy ripoffs of Tolkien, is uh, non Dungeons and Dragons ripoffs of Tolkien is what I'm saying. <laughs> is that they have a big focus on on your alignment, right? Yes, um, alignment is is really interesting because <laughs> we talk about like when I think of alignment for us people on the podcast, I, I think Tam Homies he's, he's neutral, some, some sort of neutral, maybe neutral, good, maybe, maybe <laughs> neutral, neutral. I'm not sure. Neutral, yeah. Um, I know, I know Scott is totally, I totally know what Scott is. Um, and I know what I am too. And whenever Scott and I have disagreements, it's because our alignments are different. <laughs> so, Scott, you're, you're, uh, you're lawful good. Ah. And I am chaotic good. <laughs> I am chaotic neutral. Or, yeah, chaotic. I'm probably chaotic good to chaotic neutral. So, hmm. what do you say? Uh, either chaotic good or chaotic neutral. Chaotic neutral, yeah. And Tam, what do you think of my assessment of you? 
I think I'm uh, super good. <laughs> That's not an option. <laughs> I have no idea what these things okay, are. Okay, so oh. <laughs> it, 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 there's two axes, okay? So there's, there's two axes. There's, first, you determine whether you're good, evil, or neutral, right? So we can imagine an evil person is someone who likes uh, to do evil. And we can imagine a good person who is someone who likes to do good. And there's a neutral person who could – neutral is always hard to understand, but I, I find Tam hard to understand too. So a neutral person is somebody who maybe could go either way or could be um, good – could be sort of outside of the axis of good and evil. Um, they don't think about it in those terms, right? Um, I don't know. And then there's uh, there's this other thing where it's chaotic, neutral, or so maybe, maybe well, on the axis of evil. <laughs> could be. <laughs> well, the, I used to think that that chaotic evil was the worst, but chaotic evil is like a troll. Okay, like there's a, like a troll in the woods that goes around beating people up and hurting people and doesn't care about anything except for doing damage, right? Mm-hmm. But the worst actually is lawful evil. Yes, because lawful evil follows the law and does evil, right? So they don't get in trouble with, like, magistrates and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like evil billionaires, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. They, get to, they get to lawyer their way out of problems, but they, they can do tremendous damage. Um, thieves are often considered uh, neutral or, or neutral evil or neutral good or something like that. Um, I see. I'm I'm disparaging Tam by calling him neutral. I just don't understand <laughs> Tam's uh, where he fits in the axis. I, I think I'm lawful good on the outside and chaotic evil on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an Oreo. <laughs> like an Oreo. Okay. Uh, Is it kind of like the Ultima virtues? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit different because the Ultima virtues, um, yeah, play a little bit differently, but. It's that's a much more complex sort of um, thing. But think of if you know what a paladin is. A paladin is like a a character who is he's like a knight. He's he's like Lancelot before he has sex with Guinevere. <laughs> and he's like he's super loyal. He's super good. He's always trying to be good. And I guess he's kind of uh, you know he he tamps down his sex drive right to you know so. That's what made uh, Lancelot so great. Was he? He was like a, a warrior priest until he broke his vow or whatever it was. He lost um, his paladinness when he. Yeah, exactly. And 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 he he fe- there was like a sin there, right? A fall. Um, whereas um, uh, there's yeah, so that's what you know lawful good would be. So that's why Scott Scott was so hard to convince to use things like torrents and stuff. He, he thinks that he thinks that following the law is the most important thing. Yeah, but he also so. knows that good is important. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm trying to twist him away. <laughs> twist him away from <laughs> Then I use torrents, so I've sinned. Yes, you're, you're fallen from your paladin status. <laughs> We're gonna have to change your alignment sheet to yes. <laughs> Lawful neutral, maybe. Reroll stats, yeah. Lawful neutral, it says here on um, on Wikipedia. Let's see. Oh, there. James Bond is a lawful neutral. Right. Okay. Right. Because yep. he breaks the law all the time, right? Right. And a lawful good is Batman, Dick Tracy, and Indiana Jones. 
Mm, lawful good is Superman. Uh, Batman. Yeah, Superman yeah. is totally lawful good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But, and then neutral good is Zorro and Spider Man. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can buy that. That's closer. Yeah. I love it. And then see, regular neutral is. Uh, true neutral, it's called. Yeah, true neutral is Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then it says Lucy Westerna from Dracula. I don't know who that is. Or, Lucy is the girl who gets spit by uh, Dracula. Huh. I think, right? And then chaotic neutral is Captain Jack Sparrow. Ah. <laughs> Al Swearingen from Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. Snake Plissken. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. I like it. You know how Snake Plissken works, right? No matter what you say about, like he says, uh, somebody says, listen, Snake, he says, call me Plissken. <laughs> right? He doesn't like anybody pinning him down. Uh-huh. He says, and then he says, okay, listen, Plissken. He says, call me Snake. <laughs> no matter what you you try to get him to do, he's going to do the opposite. <laughs> because that's so, his, yeah. his, his, his shtick. Um, that cha- chaotic is, is like, it's kind of like re- rebel. Mm-hmm. So. Nice. Um, what, what this all comes back to is in, in this <laughs> Margaret Reese trilogy, um, Karam, uh, not Karamon, Raceland is switching from being neutral to evil. Um, or maybe from good to neutral to evil. And that mm-hmm. gives the uh, dynamism to the story that you really don't see in most of the Dungeons & Dragons style stories. Because it, it, he has a goal and he's going for it, but he's also, you know, loves his brother and he wants to help him. But they're really, they're drifting apart because of of the the necessity of his his goal is sort of driving him to to mm. evil. It's, it's kind of a fun... That's why Raceland's sort of a popular character is because he does have a character shift. Mm-hmm. Nice. And he's also got cool eyes. His eyes. <laughs> his, and his cool eyes. So I see here they've got the second generation, Dragonlance, mm. the new generation, number one. Oh, also wow. by Weiss and Hickman. Uh, Sarah's going to oh, review nice. that as well. That's great. And then some other fantasies. We've got Aaron Pogue, um, two books from the Godlanders War series, Dreams of a Dying God, and Wrath of a Shipless Pirate. Huh. Um, don't know much about those. And then there's... Uh, a Whispers from Mirowen series called Dryad Born by Jeff Wheeler. Um, a Mercedes Lackey. She's written a ton of stuff. Magic's yeah, this Promise. Is, this is set in her, uh, her um, Herald's universe. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first book was Arrows of the Queen. and, and they're, they're fun books. The magic in them is interesting. They have these kind of horse-like unicorn creatures um, that they kind of bond with and they assist with magic and it's nice. um, it's sort of Harry Potter twenty years at least the original books were you know Harry Potter twenty years before Harry Potter or ten years before Harry Potter yeah yeah cool so there's looks like Brilliance is doing a lot of Mercedes Lackey because there's a couple of books from another series as well um, called uh, Redoubt and Bastion from the Valdemar Collegium Chronicles series. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then uh, Nostrum, The Scourge Number 2 by Roberto Callas. Um, so they're doing a lot of fantasy. 
All right. Well, Shakespeare's The Empire Striketh Back. Yeah, so now we're into <laughs> now we're into the science fiction section of our list. I read the uh, William Shakespeare of Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Seth, we have not had a piece of hard science fiction yet today, have we? No, we have not. We have um, not. No, William Shakespeare's The Empire Striketh Back is not hard science fiction. <laughs> um, I read um, William fine. Shakespeare's Star Wars was fun. It was really good. Uh, I mm-hmm. think I first podcast I was on back in October or something and we talked about it and my complaint about the book was that if you're if you're a Star Wars purist or a Shakespeare purist you won't like the books but if you're if you're a little lenient in both camps then you'll really love them mm. <laughs> so for example with Shakespeare he tends to Shakespeare writes in blank verse and uh, you know he tends to which means the it's iambic pentameter so lines of 10 syllables but blank verse isn't supposed to rhyme, but this author tends to rhyme more than, than actual Shakespeare does. Mm. But, uh, but still pretty fun. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Fun on audio. Probably there's a review out there uh, already. And it's, it's uh, read by full cast. So yeah. That looks oh. like it's pretty fun. It's three and a half hours. Nice. So it's a little longer than the movie. <laughs> so, so is chaotic neutral on the Shakespeare and Star Wars scales? Um, Iago, what would Iago be, Seth? Iago, um, you mean from Othello? Yeah. Oh gosh, um, chaotic neutral, mate. Well, it, gosh, it depends. Uh, okay, uh, how about Macbeth? Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. So. They're both evil, right? They're both <laughs> evil. Um, well, one of them is lawful evil, uh, and the other one is chaotic evil or neutral. Evil. It's really hard. Yeah, to- and I think he is he is more lawful evil. Yeah, yeah. He's, least- he he doesn't want to break the law, but he's convinced to. Yeah. So the thing is, is these these the whole thing doesn't work really in real life. You can't go around labeling people. No, like, I think Scott is lawful good, but it's really not true because <laughs> the, the system doesn't work at all. People mm. are much I, more complex than that. I believe Scott is lawful good. <laughs> <laughs> he has a tendency. Why? Though. Thank you. <laughs> all these systems, like even the Myers Briggs system, where you've got yeah, sixteen absolutely. different types, like even yeah. that. Okay, so you got sixteen instead of nine. You're still yeah, it's too simple. Vastly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course Shakespeare, you know, he loves the. The to mix it up and make it, you know, make it complex, and that's why it doesn't work for that. It it works really well for you know you're rolling up a character and you want to get a handle on him real quick. Yeah, um, he's a he's an evil wizard. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it, you know. And then, yeah. so, um, gotcha. but yeah, this, this looks pretty fun i why did they do the empire striketh back and not uh a newth hopeth or something oh yeah yeah i don't know no, well, i think, I think they maybe did both the, did they? they they did star wars yeah they did the first star wars okay um back in october okay so, so maybe they'll do the return second. of the jedi as well then <laughs> yeah star the wars star wars star wars star wars were the worst they can't go too far away from it. Uh, That's funny all stuff. All right. Um, here's one called Z2135 by David Wright and Sean Platt. Hmm. And um, this one was interesting. It sounds to me like the Hunger Games kind of, but it says adult fiction. It doesn't say YA. It says the Darwin games are over. 
The battle for survival has just begun. The Lovecraft family is in ruins. Their convict father, Jonah, roams the barrens near starvation in search of his daughter, Anna. Only the hope of seeing her again keeps him alive. Meanwhile, Anna, Liam, and Duncan have found temporary relief at a camp outside the walls. The walls in capitals. Inside City 6, Jonah's young son, Adam, has been co-opted by Jonah's enemy, Chief Keller, and is being groomed as a City Watch spy. So, yeah, I don't know. But it, it says adult strokes. fiction. It doesn't say YA There's on it. Odd strokes. You can see it. Like, the Darwin games, right? Mm-hmm. Lovecraft family. He's labeling. <laughs> these guys are labeling everything. Like, um, is you know, generic City 6, right? It, it, it's, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. For some reason, yeah. the walls is the name of the is like there, it's like uh, after the apocalypse, uh, things get simple. <laughs> yeah, we know <laughs> Lovecraft family is going to have some problems <laughs> just based on their name, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, let's see. Uh, next up, fractured. The remaining number four sounds like uh, something post-apocalyptic. In the fourth novel of the remaining, a silent war is beginning to brew within the safe grounds of Camp Ryder, and all hope of rebuilding the world they have lost seems to be dwindling fast. So let me see if I can detect what the problem was. Um, Science fiction. Yeah, it's science fiction. I was just wondering if I could see what caused the uh, problem. There's one called Aftermath. Nothing has gone according to plan. To Captain Lee Harden, Project Hometown feels like a distant dream. Boy, I still don't see. It's the second book. Okay, I need the first book in this series. They don't label the the yeah. Bring uh, them. Oh, the remaining is what it's called. Okay. Uh from the from the cover, it looks like a virus of some type. Okay, in a steel and lead encased bunker, twenty feet below the basement level of his house, a soldier waits for his final orders. On the surface, a plague ravages the planet, infecting ninety percent of the populace. The bacterium burrows through the brain, destroying all signs of humanity. Oh, so it's a zombie book. Mm-hmm. Leaving behind little more than base prehistoric instincts. The infected turn into surprising hyper-aggressive predators. <laughs> yeah, so... Anyway. Next up is Little Fuzzy, and it says, Never before on audio, but <laughs> that true. doesn't sound right. Mm, I think true. this is a never before released as a CD, maybe. Yeah, probably so. In this particular reading. Oh, that's interesting. It's, it's actually got a good cover. Yeah, um, it's a very cool cover. Yeah. Jim Roberts a, reads it. What, those, what, the, what the little fuzzies look like. which mm-hmm. is It's a great book. Uh, yeah. It's good. Read this and then read uh, John Scalzi's Fuzzy Nation. It's it's good, too. It's, it's, Did you like that? Yeah, yeah. and it was, it was the it. same story. This audiobook actually came on the back of Fuzzy Nation. I thought it did. I wasn't sure. So it's definitely been an audio. Yeah. Maybe not by itself. I don't know. I think, yeah, not by itself. It was bundled. I thought it was bundled with, bundled, bundled <laughs> with Fuzzy Nation. <laughs> Fuzzy bundled. Yeah. Looks like uh, H. Beam Piper, they're doing police operation, too. Yeah, so almost been, all of his stuff is public domain. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. So it's very easy to, to turn cool. into, into content. That's cool. So let's see. We've got The Rift by Bob Mayer. As terrors and reality spawn increasingly violently violent forces, the Night Stalkers risk all to discover the truth behind the rifts and shut them down for good. 
there's actually a real group called the Night Stalkers in the American military, but I don't oh. think this is uh, oh. about that. Area 51, and it's a, a book, you know, number series, book three. So um, I think that just happens to be the title. Uh, the Runestone Incident series two, book two, Time Traveling to St. Sonia University Duo Julia Olson. Oh, Duo Julia Olson and Nate Kirkland are back and find themselves in the 14th century on the trail of a mysterious runestone and a missing postdoc. This sounds like wow. a Connie Willis book, doesn't it? It sounds like a Connie Willis book or a Michael Crichton. Uh, what was that one called? Time something. Yeah, those, those were, yeah, Timeline. Timeline, were that's those, it. Yeah. Were those? Which was uh, a good book and a, not a very good movie. Were they university students? Yeah, they were. They were um, grad students on a dig, and the, the guy that was in charge was a professor. Oh. And then he ended up going back in time and leaving him a clue. His glasses. They, they, they excavated his glasses. I was not. <laughs> and said, holy cow, these are his glasses, and they're really old. Sounds like a Connie Willis book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both. And then, To Honor You Call Us, which sounds like a military SF, and it looks like it is. Can Max Robichaux, commander of the Space Destroyer USS Cumberland, rally his young, untried crew and defeat the evil Krag in a desperate war for the survival of the human race? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> the evil Krag. Yeah, the Not evil the Krag. Krag. All right. Krag. They don't need to be fought. <laughs> Okay, the last two on the list are uh, nonfiction or SFF related. Um, one is called "The Folklore of Discworld" um, by Terry Pratchett and Jacqueline Simpson, who is a folklorist. Hmm. And um, it says here that um, most of us grew up having always known when to touch wood or cross our fingers, and what happens when a princess kisses a frog or a boy pulls a sword from a stone. Yet, sadly, some of these things are beginning to be forgotten. Legends, myths, and fairy tales. Our world is made up of stories we told ourselves when we came about where we came from and how we got here. It's the same on Discworld, except that beings, which on Earth are creatures of the imagination, like vampires, trolls, witches, and possibly gods, are real, alive, and in some cases, kicking on the disc. <laughs> in Folklore of Discworld, Terry Pratchett teams up with leading British folklorist Jacqueline Simpson to take an irreverent yet illuminating look at the living myths and folklore that are reflected, celebrated, and affectionately libeled in the uniquely imaginative universe of Discworld. So, a big book, 13 hours of, of uh, scholarship? on yeah. how's, this, how's it work? That's pretty cool. Hey, Marissa's going to review it, so we'll find out. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, there's, there's certainly, and we, we mentioned there are 40 Discworld books, so there's definitely a yeah, corpus there, and I don't know how how hard um, Terry Pratchett has tried to um, to do continuity in his books. I, yeah. I don't well, know it, what his it, philosophy it sounds is on like, that. It sounds like they're connecting it to what Terry Pratchett is is using. Um, it says in the folklore of Discworld, Terry Pratchett teams up with leading British folklorist Jacqueline Simpson to take an irreverent yet illuminating look at the living myths and folklore that are reflected, celebrated, and affectionately libeled. So I think that uh, okay. I think that he's actually, or this book is actually connecting it to real folklore. I got gotcha you and real myth. Whoa! Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds neat. It does sound cool. Uh, 
I did see Ter- Terry Pratchett speak at uh, when I was in England at the Oxford Union. Oh, cool. Uh, and someone asked him, uh, where do you get your ideas? And he just sort of offhandedly said, well, I make things up, you see. <laughs> it, was, it was probably not true, but it was a good <laughs> off the cuff. That's great. I'm sure they get asked that all the time. Yeah. It's a, yeah, very cool. Now the truth comes out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uses, and then the last one, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt, Tam. Well, I was going to say he uses folktales. That's how, where he gets yeah. his ideas. Yep. Very nice. Yeah. Apparently. Which is a very cool place to get them. Um, and then the last book is called The Age of Radiance, Epic Rise and Dramatic Fall of the Atomic Era by Craig Nelson, read by George Newbern. It, we have a reviewer, Andrew L. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to that review because this book sounds really interesting. Yeah, I read uh, Craig Nelson's previous book called Rocket Man, which was about the <laughs> moonshot, and I thought it was very good. And um, I listened to that on audio, by the way. So um, this is like a biography of of the Atomic Age, right? It's, yeah, it's I think so. Sort of how it's it's played, yeah. and so you get it's like a history of uh, of it. Yeah, so yeah. It's like, it says, when Marie Curie, Enrico Fermi, and Edward Teller forged the science of radioactivity, they created a revolution that arced from the end of the 19th century through the course of World War II and the Cold War of superpower brinksmanship to our own 21st century confrontation with the dangers of nuclear power and proliferation. A history of paradox, miracle, and nightmare. So it's interesting that he says, epic rise and dramatic fall of the atomic era. I wonder if uh, he's thinking that it's done. And I, I would say that that's not so... I think that um, we're going to need it. <laughs> well, uh, we certainly are still using uh, nuclear power. Mm-hmm. And nuclear weapons have not gone away. Right, right. I think we'll have a renaissance in, in atomic energy because, you know, I think that uh, it's needed. It doesn't pollute the atmosphere. I mean, it pollutes in other ways, right? But um, I think that it's inevitable what we need to do is get to the next step past that, and I don't I'm not sure what that is. You know, they talk about fusion and how the no, the uh, byproduct of fusion would be helium, if that's possible, right? And helium would just go right out to the out the atmosphere. So um, that would be non polluting, you'd think. We have to go to the moon and mine helium three. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Like in the novel Limit. Right, that I read. right. Very cool. Yeah. How, yeah. Well, um, I, I, there's some non. Uh, yeah, I want uh, Tam. Tam has a, a hard science fiction book that I want to hear okay. about. Let's hear it, Tam. Um, it's called Lockstep by Carl Schrader. I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. But it's spelled S C H O E D E R. And um, well, he he was he was recently on the uh, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy podcast, and he talked about how um, faster than light travel is impossible. So. How else can we explore the galaxy? We can freeze people for really long periods of time and then send them out. So that's that's basically what this book is based on. But it's kind of like in a YA style. Hmm. So it has like a, a young kid uh, having an adventure in space and stuff. And I read the kid a little sample. And I mean, the science sounds really legit. And yet it's it seems entertaining. So Yeah. And it, I, is I, a, it is an audiobook, by the way. It's available yeah. on Audible. It's from Recorded Books. Narrated by Jonathan Todd Ross. But I tried to find it in like my local Barnes and Noble, and they're not stocking it for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that's Maybe happening more and more. I'm, I'm finding less and less luck when I go to 
to bookstores and finding what I want. I don't think I'm looking for things that are obscure either. I think they're just stocking whatever the most popular things are now. Yeah, it's, or, it's a race. Or it's a copy of the most popular thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but that's that's okay because I mean, there's still you know ebooks online and there's there's audiobooks online. Yeah. But yeah, if you want a physical copy, you're going to have to order it sight unseen from Amazon probably. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I subscribe to Analog Science Fiction on my Kindle. It's only three bucks a month. Hmm. And oh, that's not bad. Like two ninety nine a month. Yeah, it's great. And um, I don't always get it read, but I did read Lockstep was serialized in Analog, hmm. so I've read the first twenty five percent. I I didn't read past it, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. the The first scene has this seventeen year old kid waking up on a ship that's damaged. He's alone. And um, it's really interesting how that took place because he's he's talking to people, but the people, but the people don't don't really exist. Really exist. They're, like, They're like I'm hearing an echo. Hearing an echo. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I read that, I read part, that part too. Yeah. So yeah, it was, so it was um, the people that he was. Who's got who's got their speaker on? Not me. Sorry, it might be me. I don't know. There we go. Okay, it's gone. No, it's back. But anyway, <laughs> um, so he's talking to people, but the people are actually. I I took it that they were like characters in a game that he was playing. Um, you know, it described, but he they were they were really fleshed out kind of AI. Did you get oh, the neat. same impression? You know, I I think he suspected that might that might have been a possibility. Uh huh. But then at the end, he yeah, uh, yeah. he turns them off. Yeah. In, in the sample that I read. Right. He does. Actually, he, it, yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, the ship just gets hit by like a grain of sand or something. But by the time it explodes and goes into the second and third walls, the hole gets bigger and bigger. And yeah. then all of a sudden, the ship has a lot of damage. Yeah. So he's wow. got a big big hole in so his there's, ship. There's all kinds of science uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, I sample. guess a grain of sand moving moving near the speed of light would still do. Uh, Fair bit of damage. Ah. Yeah. Infinite hole in damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. So that's cool. I would like to finish that book, and maybe audio is the way to do it. Um, because after that, it kind of turns in kind of, I don't know, I'd call it a little bit Star Trek-ish, um, because he, he finds a planet, and um, by the end of that first quarter, he was he was down on a planet that was really, really interesting, and you know that's kind of what Star Trek was good at is they would make up some kind of a planetary situation and and uh Star Trek guys would uh explore it. Interesting. Yeah. So Yeah, I think just the sky was lit by neon instead of having a sun. Yeah. Which is all a uniform orange color or something. Right. It was a traveling planet. It wasn't it wasn't orbiting a sun or anything, right? It was just traveling through space. Well I didn't get that far, but yeah. I just read about the sky. Cool. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. So I like it. That's that's awesome. Now, one one that I found that um, I was really happy to find on Audible was called His Share of Glory, the complete short fiction of C.M. Cornbluth. Hmm. And I was like, wow, well, this is a cool trend. <laughs> 43 hours and 10 minutes long. Wow. Yeah, so this would take a while to listen to. I don't know about you guys, but I can't listen to short story after short story after short story. I no, like to listen to one, even. and I've got to wait a while, and then yeah. before I can do the next one. Um, so this book would probably take me a year to get through, 
Um, that's incredibly. That's a huge book. It is, yeah. So, but neat. I would love to see like the complete short stories of Roger Zelazny. That's one I would buy. Uh, um, the complete short stories the, of Heinlein. I would buy that. I, I'm worried about the way it's put packaged, though, because if it, if if they aren't individually chapterized, how could you ever come back bookmarked and figure yeah. out? You know, like, don't you want to skip around? Well, a lot of the stuff on Audible is that way. Um, like, yeah. they they did uh, George R. R. Martin's short stories, mm-hmm. and when you get that, they're all you know you can go to any short story you want to in there through a. Uh, their bookmarks or chapter headings or navigating. Okay. Yeah. The problem with their chapters is it just says chapter one. I wish, you know, it wouldn't be monumentally impossible. I wouldn't think to program the chapter headings as text other than chapter one, chapter two, chapter yeah. three. Right. Right. I agree. Speaking of uh, short stories, there's a Lovecraft on audible. Uh, mm. I haven't read this uh, Pickman's model mm. uh, narrated by Otis Jerry. Um, and it's from a publisher. It's um Audio books by Mike Vendel. You mean Mike Vendetti? Mike Vendetti, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I've not <laughs> guess, heard of who, that. guess who had him made that? Make that. Oh well, there you go. This is this is the the guessing game. Which audiobooks did Jesse get made by suggesting that narrators narrate them? <laughs> this is one of them. Um, wow. Mike Vendetti. Uh, he has uh, he's uh, all over Audible and he is publishing all sorts of stuff that I just say, Hey Mike, check this out. And, and <laughs> okay. Cause he, he, he likes to narrate and he narrates ACX stuff, but he doesn't uh, like narrating ACX stuff generally. Cause there's a lot of zombie novels. He likes to narrate good stuff. Yeah. So between his zombie novels, he's been narrating a lot of, uh, of Lovecraft and uh, other uh, public domain, science fiction, fantasy, horror, and yeah, it's cool. Nice, yeah. Well, you there. There was another one um, that was read by Mister Jim Moon. That's right. In that fact, you, that, you said that, that you talking about. Right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I I was just actually going to say that the the Lovecraft one that you were talking about, Seth, that has been on the SFF Audio podcast, <laughs> um, read by Mister Jim Moon. But yeah, there's uh-huh. a. Mr. Moon audiobook on Audible that is not anywhere else uh, called The Missing Chapter from the Time Machine. And what happened was the Time Machine was serialized in a um, in a magazine in the late 19th century. And when it was subsequently packaged as a novel or a novelette or a novella, I guess it is, um, that chapter was left out for whatever reason. Hmm. And I found I found out about this. I found a copy of the story. I put it up, and I said, "Mr. Jim Moon, you should you should consider narrating this for Mike." And Mike released it. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. What's cool is Mike is has he's like an audiobook uh, publisher as well as a narrator. So people who sign up um, to narrate, you know, can't normally get their own stuff on Audible, but he's a publisher, right. on Audible, so he can. You know, if you if you go through him, like you say, hey, I got a great book. I, I want to get on Audible. You can he can say, well, I don't know. Let me have a look, and he can put it up, which is great. Very nice. Hmm. Very cool. In fact, he, he puts out a ton, and I'm always retweeting his stuff. That that is um, something I I suggested he do because these are generally audiobooks I want to hear, right? 
I, I, I make PDFs of things that I want to hear. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, you guys remember when that True Detective show was on, the eight-episode series. I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is inspired by Robert W. Chambers. Um, so I said, hey, Mike, you should do this Robert W. Chambers book, uh, which is called The King in Yellow. And he said, what's that, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, check it out. It's, it's like this uh, sort of pre-Lovecraftian horror with an intertextual fake book that doesn't really exist. And it's a play and it's really cool. And, and then we did that. And then um, I got a, a direct message from um, Mark Turetsky saying, hey, guess what I'm doing? <laughs> I said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and so, in fact, both Mike Vendetti and um, Mark Turetsky did audiobooks of The King in Yellow, as did Stefan Rudnicki, but that I had nothing to do with. Stefan Rudnicki was already a fan of of The King in Yellow. Hmm. Um, his, his is up on Downpour, so if you go through Downpour, you get the, the um, Stefan Rudnicki version, which is, of course, probably fantastic. And uh, if you go through Audible, you'll get the either Mike Vendetti version or the uh, Mark Turetsky version. I've seen, I see the Mark Turetsky one, and I'd, I'd listen to that after his um, Have Space to Travel. I mean, and of course, he we put the first uh, story in the podcast. Uh, it's called The Repairer of Reputations, and right. it is a fabulously interesting story. It's amazingly deep for such a short story. I guess it's like forty minutes or something, but it's 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 like it makes you really think um, about what the hell's going on and. It, it sort of enhances the appreciation of that show too, uh, True Detective. Speaking of which, um, I'll tie. I was going to talk about this later, but um, the author or the guy who wrote True Detective also wrote a novel, um, which I started listening to. It's called Galveston. It's available from Tantor, and I guess it'd be on um, on Audible as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's about a um, sort of a low level. Uh, gangster who finds out he's got lung cancer and uh his boss wants to kill him and it's going to be turned into a movie as well so huh it's, wow it's hot it's pretty hot right now even though it came out in 2010 i guess after um people started hearing about true detective they thought oh my god we got to get this guy and his only novel is out uh as an audiobook now well wow, very cool it's read by uh michael kramer who's a very good narrator oh uh, yeah you know, Michael Kramer did a lot of those. Um, Wheel of Time. Yeah. 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 He did Dortmunder and the. Uh, yeah, in the Wheel of Time. He's a very good narrator. So. Right, right. Stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a segue into another one that I wanted to mention, um, which is Words of Radiance, the Stormlight mm -hmm. Archive, Book Two uh, by Brandon Sanderson. And the okay. reason that I wanted to talk about this, it's huge. It's 48 hours long. <laughs> Longer That's than the complete days. short fiction of C.M. Cornblue. Wow. Um, <laughs> One novel by Brandon Sanderson is longer than the entire output of C.M. Cornblue. Right. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> what is that? That's uh, eight Jessies, right? It's, yeah, oh, at my. least. At so least. Jesse is a six-hour book. Yeah, I think exactly. it's Jesse to the eighth power. Jesse? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So um, the reason that I think this is interesting is because I saw a tweet this morning that came through that uh, Terp Kristen mm -hmm. gave this five stars. Wow. And then I went on Goodreads, and everybody that I follow that has read it has given it five stars. Huh. And um, the Audible version has 1,479 ratings. It's 4.9 average. 
Hmm. And on Goodreads, insanely high. It's almost five stars as well. There's like six thousand ratings, and it's almost five stars. So I'm wondering if I ought to read these. (laughs) You know, I think it's a bestseller in bookstores too. Yeah, I'm sure it is. A lot of time, but other than that, yeah. I mean, but wow, you know, if that many people. Well, Luke, Luke gave the first one four, and you know, yeah, he did it on his podcast. Yeah, Luke is not someone who would. just throw five stars at something, you know what I mean? Let's let's speculate as to Luke's alignment because I he's also a very hard puzzle. I don't, <laughs> he's, I don't think he's lawful. Pretty sure about that. Uh, he's not oh, totally. No, lawful. we can rule that something out. Something neutral. Something neutral. But is it evil? Uh, no, he's not exactly evil. Is he good? Mm, he's not exactly good. Maybe he's true neutral. He could be. But Luke and Tam are very different. I know. <laughs> that's where it breaks down. I think Tam is chaotic something. <laughs> Probably chaotic neutral. <laughs> I don't know. Who's who, who, on that chaotic neutral list? Um, Let's see. Oh, I can't remember. Look. Oh, let's see. Okay, chaotic neutral. Uh, we Yeah, Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, Snake Plissken. Snake. That sounds... Tam's a little bit like those guys. <laughs> call me Tam. <laughs> <laughs> call call me Home. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, you were a little bit conflicted at the beginning of the podcast, too. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah, I think I might give these a try sometime. Um, I actually read like 33% of the first one, but I, I didn't have the patience. Really? Luke actually says uh, skip one of the characters' stories in the first one, and then it reads much better. Like wow. that, yes. There's a woman that draws stuff, and I think in the first novel, she doesn't really come to any climax. Uh-huh. So Luke says just skip her part, and then it's much better. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Interesting. Okay, well, cool. Okay. Can I just mention um, uh, Saga, the graphic novel? Of course. Novel, yeah, please do. Or the comic book series. Mm-hmm. I just read the third uh, trade paperback, and it's really, really entertaining. There's a there's this cat called the Lying Cat, and whenever you say a lie, the cat goes, lying. Uh, <laughs> there's all these really funny scenes that are structured around that. Like, if you just Google the Lying Cat images, you'll see all these funny uh, scenes with sounds the cat. Sounds like a meme. It sounds like a yeah. meme. <laughs> I'm sure it can become one. Yeah, it's it's a it's a meme within the whole saga universe, right? Um, speaking of comics, that's cool. I I got uh, the Mask of the Red Panda, which is a uh, IDW released uh, graphic novel. It was originally done as a e e comic, I guess, um, in black and white for some reason. And then when they did the uh, the release as a comic book, uh, you know, physical piece of paper hardware. <laughs> Um, it was colorized, and which is the way I would prefer it. But this is um, Greg Taylor's radio drama series or audio drama series called um, uh, from Dakota Ring Theater called uh, The Red Panda Adventures. And it's like a new story, uh, but instead of being audio drama, it's, you know, physical comic. <laughs> That's cool. And see what they look like. And That's cool. See what they're villains look like it's great stuff that's something that you've been telling me to listen to for a long time oh yeah i still haven't listened to much of it but i i ought to it's so um it's it you know what it's i was I keep thinking about how how it, it's basically if you remember the old batman tv show 
Mm-hmm. It's that's done as camp, really, right? It's sort of not. It, I mean, you've got the cat Catwoman, you know, wow, Batman, right? Whatever <laughs> she's doing, and the villains are like, you know, Penguin and Joker, and then maybe there's a third one, but you know, Question Guy or Sandman or something. But they're never really that great. What you're watching that for is the is the actor guest appearances, right? And you're watching it for, you know, just sort of um, the kapows. <laughs> Where, what this does that, uh, you know, the Dakota Ring Theater's Red Panda Adventures does is it takes sort of the same premise of, you know, the setup of a crime fighter defending a city, the sidekick, and inverts a lot of the things and then just improves. Like, there's many more villains they're they're not as you know like cats and dogs and penguins <laughs> riddlers right they're they're much um broader and then it gives it scope because there's a beginning and there's a middle uh, which i think we're in now and maybe there's going to be an end because it progresses from the 1930s into the 1940s and they go from being you know uh kid baxter and uh, sorry um uh the unnamed <laughs> unnamed Batman character, uh, a b- unnamed Bruce Wayne character, to him having a name, finally. Um, and then his sidekick marries him, and they have a baby. And it's like a big, long, epic uh, sort of Batman-style adventure. Uh, but it's it's really cool, because it, it has that sort of um, a mythological Batman-esque-ness, but it's completely different. And it's its own thing, and it's 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 much more successful, I think, than any other sort of superhero um, thing that isn't bat, you know, that isn't Marvel or DC than I've seen. I've never mm-hmm. seen this successful. It's really great. Hmm, cool. I've, I've been listening for and you'd start, like seven you'd start years. Start at the beginning, right? I would, yeah. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So All this right. is an audio book. It's not. It's, it's an not audio a- drama podcast. Okay. It's, it's like seven seasons in or something. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'll send a link to that later. They're I'll put it in the show notes. Our shows. Yeah, they're really great. That's cool. Very cool. Is it comic book colored with like four colors and a yellow background? In the, uh, in the comic book, it is, yeah. Um, in, the, uh, in the audio drama, it's, it's a lot less heavy on special effects than most uh, shows are. It uses them, but only where needed, right? It isn't like footsteps everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's very dialogue driven, and Greg Taylor's a—he's an amazing writer because he he comes up with a new script every two weeks, and they are you know really they don't repeat themselves. It's, yeah, it's it, there's a lot of repeated lines, but they're they're you know the character lines. So mm-hmm. it gives you the character love, but also he's expanding the epic uh, scope of it um, as it goes by. There's androids and magic and. Um, and it all sort of fits together in a in a beautiful, you know, one man wow. tapestry. And and he's the main character too. <laughs> he's the actor playing the red panda, and his wife is the lady playing the uh, the sidekick, who really is his wife. <laughs> wow! Very nice. Very nice. And it, well, you wouldn't cool. think it was commercial either. You know the way I'm describing it. You know. It, you can't have J. Michael Straczynski playing the uh, playing the main character in a J. Michael <laughs> Straczynski production, uh, but that's not true in this case because he's really he's really great and 
Um, even even like listening to the show, the ads are for you know people's birthday parties and <laughs> uh, they're you know so and so has greetings for so and so. You know they're they're like it's small and lovely. Mm. I love it. Well, cool, 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 cool. Greg Taylor is lawful good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Maybe uh, she get together, guy. Yeah, yeah. The driver, she is. I think she's chaotic neutral. Mm-hmm. I think. Nice, nice. She's always beating up people. <laughs> Whenever we have someone on the show, we should put their alignment. Next yeah. <laughs> That's a good, good idea. That's funny. So what, what would Julie Davis be? Wow. Lawful good? I think she's chaotic good. Hmm. Or, or chaotic neutral. No, 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 no. I mean neutral good. Hmm. Why not lawful good? She's not lawful good. She's she's uh, she is much looser about things than Scott is on a lot of things. Like uh, Scott was very afraid of uh, uh, Torrance, and uh, but I think Julie was. She was the one who was pushing everybody into uh, what's the radio downloader, right? <laughs> well, I think she'd like chaotic good. It says here, chaotic good is Robin Hood, Starbuck yep. from Battlestar Galactica, and Malcolm Reynolds. Yep, yep. that sounds like her to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I like all those people. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Good deal. Okay. Well, um, I, well, I've got two more that I'd love to mention. Um, mm-hmm. Should I go ahead and do that? Go, go for it. Okay. The first one is "Martians Go Home" by Frederick Brown. Yeah. How did you know that was on my list? I did. Well, it, I knew it belonged there. If you, if it was. <laughs> so uh, read by Stefan Rudnicki. Um, it's available on Audible. Um, and I, I didn't check Downpour, so I'm not it sure. It is on Downpour, absolutely. Okay, so Martians Go Home, originally published in 1955, is a comic science fiction novel that tells the story of Luke Devereaux, a science fiction writer who witnesses an alien invasion of little green men. These Martians haven't come to Earth to harm anyone, just to annoy people. Unable to touch the physical world or be touched by it, they take great pleasure in walking through walls, spying on the private lives of humans, and revealing their every secret. No one knows how to get rid of these obnoxious little aliens, except perhaps Luke. Unfortunately, Mr. Devereaux is going a little bananas, so it may be difficult for him to try, but not impossible. So that's that's cool. This is a book that uh, I think it's got the famous image on the cover. I think it was Frank Kelly Freeze who, <laughs> who that piece of art. Yeah. Um, really terrific. It's not the cover of this book, but the cover of this book looks nice. But Little Green Man from Mars, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. There's actually more. They, um, uh, Stefan Rudnicki just did a like a little video of why he likes Frederick Brown so much, mm-hmm. and um, there's two others that are available as well. Uh, the Screaming Mimi, which is a uh, crime book, I guess I want to say noir, but not really. It's more hard boiled, um, but it's really it's just Frederick Brown, which is he's a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also another science fiction-y one, which is um, Honeymoon in Hell, which has narration by Steph Adrenicki, Gabriel Decker, and Harlan Ellison. Wow. Um, it's Ghosts, Gods, Devils, Heavens and Hells, Cities in the Sky, and Cities Beneath the Sea. And I'm not, I've not read this one. I don't, I'm not super familiar with it, but that doesn't mean it's not good because um, I've not read most of Frederick Brown's. But what I have read is, is he's a really good – like writer mm-hmm. he's he's famous for 
being a great writer, especially a writer's writer. It's, he's the kind of writer that people um, yeah. write like. Yeah, yeah, cool. He wrote Arena, right? The story of the Star Trek. He did. He wrote what Arena. The was based on. Yeah, he also wrote the the short story. Um, uh, where how's it go? Um, the last man on Earth sat alone in a room. Period. There was a knock on the door. Period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's called the last man on Earth. And then there's been subsequent lengthenings of that, but that's the. Premise. Was that ever on TV or anything? Yep. Yep. Pretty yeah. sure. Very cool. Audio audio drama. Yeah, um, yeah it was on two thousand X. Yep. Yeah. Two thousand X. That's good. Cool. So that 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 was on my list too, the Frederick Brown series. Good deal. And then the uh, other one know, sorry. So go for it. Go uh, for it. just the last one I wanted to mention was uh Doc Savage. The Frightened Fish is the the latest one. Um it's published by Radio Archives, but these are not uh actually radio archives. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's uh, their company name, and they used to do old stuff only, and now mm-hmm. they're doing new stuff, right? Right. So they they've got a collection of um, actual old uh, radio shows. I think it's called. Well, I'm looking at it right now. Um, well, I'm not sure that that's it. It's called Python Isle, but I'd have to go to RadioArchives.com probably. But I reviewed. I'm pretty sure the the collection of audio drama that was from the eighties. Um, anyway, they released that and now they're releasing these doc Savage things, but I, I liked doc Savage. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. So the frightened fish is the name of the latest one. It's four hours long, four and a half hours long. So I may give that a listen. You know, that's actually not too dissimilar from uh, Dakota Ring Theater's Red Panda either. Mm-hmm. That sort of the cast of characters, um, you know, a bunch of, you know, people with super semi-superpowers. They're semi-superheroes with, you know, either lots of money or, you know, the, fighting supervillains. It's sort of like Doc Savage's proto-superheroes in a way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nice, nice. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, that, I'm that, with... That's a comic series too. There's a doc series, Savage series of comics by Dynamite, and Alex Ross sure. is doing the covers, and he's a pretty good artist. Oh wow! I, yeah, I, he's, he's... I, I put a link in the chat. Yeah. Very Why cool. does Doc Savage's hair look like a helmet? Is my question. <laughs> it's always this hair, hair helmet. <laughs> <laughs> hair he's helmet. Gold, he's a golden man, and he's got a hair helmet. Right. Um, right. So uh, the one guy, uh, like I. I keep thinking about why is it why is it Jesse doesn't like so many books. Um, I think it's just I like really good writing, and I really I, I I like really good idea writing is what I should say. Mm-hmm. I had a Twitter exchange earlier this week about with somebody online about you know what makes writing good, and he was saying um, Alex Risty was saying that the you know good writing is the most important thing is like yeah no ideas are more important for me, but I like good writing as well, but. I think idea. He was saying ideas are cheap, and that's what they say. You know, that's what uh, Orson Scott Card says, right, in his class. Right, ideas are cheap. Here's a thousand of them. Right, right, right. Get, get writing, but I think that's for writing exercises, and that's learning how to be a writer. But if you want to make good books, like or great books, books that last beyond, books that you still think about much later. Like I keep thinking about um, with all this 
you know, drones going on. I keep thinking about uh, not the Forever War, but the Forever Peace, which we did as a podcast discussion. Forever Peace is like about drones and the cost of that to the countries being attacked by drones, but also the cost to the nations that use them. And mm-hmm. it's a very timely piece, but it was, you know, it was written before drones were really a thing. And Joe Haldeman is the guy who I say, you know, I don't read a book by him and say, yeah, that was crap. I always say, wow, he really is saying something here. And that's always been true. I have not read a Joe Haldeman book where I said, this is junk. Even when he's doing very sort of light entertainment, it's still really well done. But it it tends to do something a little different. It has ideas in it. Now, what is making me think about this is there's a new book. 2014 novel by him called Work Done for Hire, which is, you know, eight and a half hours. That's like a Jesse, right? On mm-hmm. Jesse. Um, read by Chris Sorensen, and that's came out from Recorded Books is available on Downpour. But there's a bunch of his stuff available on Downpour. None So Blind, read by Tom Tom Weiner. I've not read that, but why haven't I? I should. I guess because it wasn't available as an audiobook before. Starbound, Earthbound. When he yeah, when not, he does not a so sequel, blind is a collection. It's very right. very good, very good. But when when he does a sequel, right? Like when they said, "Geez, you know, Joe, his you know agent is saying, "Geez, Joe, you you really should write a sequel to, to uh, the Forever War." You know, it's the book everybody knows you by, and you could make so much money for writing writing that book. And what does Joe Haldeman do? He sits on that idea for twenty or thirty <laughs> years, right? And says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard him interviewed, and he sort of, he seems very relaxed about things. But it, it's it's more thoughtfulness is what I'm thinking. Um, and he sits on that idea until a good idea comes to him. And then he doesn't, you know, write a sequel to The Forever War. He writes Forever Peace, which is not really a sequel. Right? It's something else. He uses the same title, and it does a completely different new idea. It isn't like the first book leads to the second book and this using the same idea and undermining it, making it waste or you know, thinner and thinner and thinner. It's greatness, followed by another kind of greatness, followed by another kind of greatness, because it's great idea based science fiction. He's a real hard SF guy who cares more about the thinking than about the science. Thinking about the consequences of stuff. And that that is really important. What's what's this quote you found, Tam? Uh, he has a quote about when the teachers say, write what you know. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, bad books aren't writing and thoughtless English professors solemnly tell you to write what you know, which explains why so many mediocre novels are about English professors <laughs> contemplating adultery. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's there's four novels or four books, audiobooks. None So Blind is a collection, as you point out. Starbound, Earthbound, and Work Done for Hire. Those are... Th- four books I've not read and I think I should read one of them. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe work done for hire. That's the new one. Hey Scott, did you ever read the Joe Haldeman Star Trek novels? He did two of them. Oh no, I haven't. Um, I've actually got one around here somewhere, the world of judgment or something like that. But yeah, he wrote a couple and then there's someone named Jack Haldeman. I'm not sure if he's related. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he wrote one they, too. They've collaborated as well. I've read one of their collaborations, and it was yeah. it was very good. Yeah, excellent. 
Yeah, I think Joe Holland's a good writer too, not not just a good uh, science fiction writer. Yeah, he's, I think he's, he's the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. But he's, I think, uh, he's really underappreciated because he doesn't put out as many books as a lot of other people. I mean, he puts out a fair amount, but he also he he doesn't like toot his own horn. Like he's not everywhere, you know, announcing his awesomeness. And he is pretty fucking awesome, is what I'm thinking. Because mm. every time I read one of his books, I, I think about it for years after. Right? That is not true with the majority of books I read. I read them and then eh, I think about it for yeah. a week or so, and then it's sort of gone. But with a Joe Haldeman book, they really stick around. Mm-hmm. They say something. Yeah. So yeah, Mars. He's been known Mars for Forever War more than anything. Somehow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what, what everybody knows him. Right, that's what when they announce, you know, we got Joel Holdman, author of the Forever War, but huh. he, he's not just a one-trick pony because he's got, you know, when you talk about William Gibson, people say Neuromancer, author of Neuromancer, and that's that's the same thing. But I, I think about, like, I, I think about William Gibson past that book as just being, I remember the style, and I think about his being cutting edge for that week, you know. He, he gives you interesting ideas about that week. Uh, but I don't think about his books afterwards like the way I do with a Joe Haldeman book. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go for one of these, I think. I think Neil Stevenson stacks up there for me, or at least he, he has the potential mm. to. The um, problem is his books have been really hit or miss lately since uh, Anathem was amazing. Uh, it was long, but it was amazing. Uh, Snow Crash was definitely was probably one of my favorite books, at least the earlier parts of it. I haven't read Diamond Age yet. I'm considering reading that, but that's also supposed to have great you know, ideas about nanotechnology and and that sort of thing. So yeah. he, seemed, he has the cap- he has the intelligence to to um, turn out books with great ideas. Um, fortunately, Reemdy turned into like a standard um, thriller action book, which was really disappointing. But yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what Project Hieroglyph is? That's his no. Name? It's like some new project to uh, inspire future scientists or something. And, and Carl Schrader has actually wrote a story for it. So I, I, it sounded like it was an anthology for one thing, but it seems like it's a whole project with different different features to it. Yeah, it's, pe- it's kind of a – they're promoting uh, optimistic science fiction. Right. Um, yeah, so it's a project I at sh- Arizona State. University. I saw that. Uh, didn't they do that a few years ago? The, the, there's always these sort of uh, mandates, like let's all get behind uh, human-powered civilization in space. <laughs> so these, like, I don't know what they are. There's there is like we're going to fix science fiction by bringing <clears throat> the kind of thing we're going to do. Well, I don't know. I don't know that Neil Stevenson's idea was to fix science fiction, but he he kind of got caught up with some people. That were like, man, there sure are a lot of dismal futures being talked about here, and maybe we need to talk about some, you know, nice possibilities that we've got. And yeah. I, I like that. I think it's a good idea. So they just got together and created this hieroglyph project to kind of promote that, you know. And it's it's idea fiction too, you know, like the the science fiction that Heinlein wrote. I mean, there was a. a attainable future there 
that uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why Star Trek is so popular too is that there's just this optimism about it that um, you know at least in the original series and in the next generation there's this optimism about it that hey we can overcome some of these things that we're dealing with all the time and um, anyway I think it's, I think it's a good idea it doesn't that's mean what I appreciate about uh, Robert J Sawyer's um, www trilogy um hmm. with the artificial intelligence is that i kept waiting for it to go dystopian and this thing was gonna take over or something and it uh-huh. it didn't it genuinely did you know it, it genuinely was a compound of human knowledge and it 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 gained its own independence but it still wished the world that it you know created it it wanted to help people and i thought that was kind of daring well that's mm-hmm. neat that's neat I need to read those. I've read the first one. I never did continue. I so read they the are first one. It's worth uh, finishing? Yeah, I think so. Um, the first mm-hmm. one, I, beginnings of series are always the best for me. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I always like beginnings, but um, which is why uh, Jack London's Star Rover is so great. Or mm-hmm. uh, It's all a whole or, bunch of beginnings, right? <laughs> or Italo, Italo Calvino, a post, uh, Italian postmodernist author, has a book called If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, which I definitely recommend. It's all about – it's very – uh, metafiction that's all about books but it has beginnings to about half about a dozen short stories in it <laughs> i like sawyer quite a bit i think he's good yeah, he seems in the optimistic axis of science fiction yeah i would say so yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i like his books you know they're usually playing with ideas and um what's that one flash forward mm-hmm. yeah that was a really good book really good book yeah. So um, there's one other uh, downpour title that I spotted that it's not new. It came out in 2011, but I, I watched the movie not that long ago, and now I want to read the book because it was I, I was getting into gothic fiction, I guess, when we were doing Frankenstein, and uh, I guess Seth, you and I did that um, House of the Seven Gables, which is a gothic book as well. Yeah, and. Um, there's, I noticed uh, while I was looking on Downpour that there's a gothic section, which is kind of funny because that's – isn't gothic fiction passe? No, I guess not. There's still people writing it. And, you know, in there you'll find Frankenstein and um, many other, you know, gothic novels. But um, there's there was a book called Woman in White by Wilkie Collins, I guess from the 19th century. And then there was a book called a Wo- The Woman in Black, which is a relatively modern book. I think it came out in like 1981 or something. And it's very short. It's four and a half hours. Um, and I watched the movie and I'd heard about the movie for a long time. Um, I didn't know that it was a book, actually. I just heard about the movie. And... Uh, I watched it and I was like, holy crap, this is a really good story because it what it does is it really distills all of the horror of gothic fiction and it makes it very short and very clear what the symbology of all of that is for. And it makes you feel uh, a kind of horror of the of the house, right? The horror of the house. Interesting. Hmm. I think that's really fascinating. It's sort of it's about a lawyer who who has to go to disperse an estate. He has to go, uh, you know, to the house, and he gets yeah. there. And it's it's a haunted haunted house with a haunted island. It's hard to access, and there's a woman he spots who you know is out in the 
marshy area and is she really there or is he going crazy but all of the ambiance that goes throughout the story is not just limited to that house it's it's really kind of the idea is that the man is haunted in the same way if you think about scott that book we started with so long ago um the uh henry james book what was mm-hmm. that one? Uh, the turn of the screw Turn of the screw. Yep. The woman is the one who's haunted, right? Mm-hmm. She's haunted by the people around her. Is the house haunted? Yes. But the woman's haunted too. And the man is haunted. And that horror of whatever it is was very left open for you is works m- magically. And so I've, I've heard really good things about the book now that I've been reading about about it, and it's available on Downpour as uh, read by Ralph Cossum, who I'm not familiar with, but it's got only one review, but it's a five star review. And hey, it's only four and a half hours. That sounds mm. totally doable. It's Very read, nice. Narrated mm. by Susan, oh, sorry, the author is Susan Hill, who I think has made a career out of this book in the way that um, Joe Haldeman, you know, has eaten off of <laughs> his one novel. Uh, everybody calls him that by that you know his appellation author of right this is the way Susan Hill is is regarded as author of Woman in Black nice. so I recommend that that movie the uh, the original I have not seen the one that uh, uh, Harry Potter was in that's the remake I think mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to try and get this book This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.